When someone comes to me and says, hey, pastor, I want to talk to you. I need to share something with you. I've never told anyone. You know what I've never heard when somebody says that? I've never heard I was at Publix and backed out of my parking spot and hit the car behind me and I didn't leave a note. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wherever you grew up, your household had certain rules. And there aren't universal rules that every household has to adopt in the United States. And so your rules were different for you than your friends were, were for them. Friends' rules were for them. And so typically what we do, we try to find the friend whose parents have the least amount of rules. And we hang out at their place. And I'm not recommending that. That's just kind of what we do. It's human nature because our household has our rules and your household has your rules. And that's how I grew up. And we grew up. And at some point, we reach an age where we get to decide, okay, if I want to keep living by these rules, I can live in this house. But if I want different rules, I got to go. I got to find a different house. I grew up in Texas and I grew up on the edge of the city. But my grandparents, both sets, lived kind of in the country, not too far away. And so one of the things I discovered very, very early is that there are different rules for city people and country people. Like in the city, the government will tell you when you can take a class and a test, and if you pass it, you can then get your driver's license. In the country, once your legs reach the pedals and you can see above the dashboard, you can drive. It doesn't matter. There, there are different rules for different people. In, in Texas, Texas is kind of unique. We had our own rules like we had guns everywhere in the house. We had guns in the house. If we wanted to go to my grandparents and shoot, we throw all the guns in the car. Just, just no big deal. Some of you have never had a gun in your home a day in your life. The other thing I learned is uh, my grandmother, I would go when I was a little bitty guy, my parents would drop me off. And she had about three acres, and I would use her little John Deere tractor, and I would, I would mow the grass. And I, I still remember the day. I remember it like it was yesterday. About right there while I was on that John Deere tractor, there was a huge snake. And so for a period of time after that, every time I mowed the grass on the John Deere, I had the 410 shotgun in my hand while I was driving the tractor mowing the grass. And I shot so much stuff. I did. I mean, I, and I missed so much stuff. I mean, it's just, but, but I'm just of the opinion, and I think I'm right, every snake deserves to die. That is my opinion. And so I, I kept that gun. I don't know how many snakes I shot, but that's just, and if you don't like that and you love snakes, get a few as pets in your home and don't ever invite me over. That's fine. You take care of them. But, but it's just different rules that, that we had, and we, we kind of know that. You have the rules of your home. I have the rules of my home. Country people have rules, city people have rules, Texas people have rules, Florida people have, have rules. We just, we get used to the rules in our home. This morning, as we talk about this subject, the subject of sex, it's going to be at points a little bit awkward. And there are probably going to be some things that I say that many of you will not agree with. There are going to be some things that I communicate that are completely countercultural. And so I want to I communicate a couple of things at the beginning. One, all I'm talking about this morning 
is from the scripture. I'm talking about dad's rules. My job is just to say, hey, here's what our father, here's what God says about this area of life. You don't have to agree. You, You don't have to do this. I can't make you do this. That's not even my agenda. But I do have a responsibility as a pastor to say, hey, here's what God says about this important area of our lives. And you owe it to yourself, no matter what you think, And I owe it to myself, no matter what I think, to pause and consider that. Here's the other thing I would say. If you disagree with me, if you disagree with some of the things I'm going to say, I don't hate you. I love you. Somehow we've gotten to a place in our culture, it's okay to disagree about certain things. Like I I think the Cowboys are the best team, and so does God, so if you don't, you're wrong. But but listen, we can agree. Some of my closest friends are Giants fans because... Because I'm a missionary to help people that don't know much. <laughs> but, but listen, we can disagree about those things, but there are certain subjects in our culture. It almost seems like if we disagree, that means you hate me. And so I want to be very, very clear. If you disagree with anything that I say this morning, because I'm just a messenger boy, my only goal, my only agenda is to say, hey, here, here's what dad's rules are. If you're a follower of Christ, here, here are dad's rules for the house. Here's how he expects this to happen. If you disagree with that, I love you. We should be able as followers of Jesus to love people, not agendas. We should be able to disagree and still love each other. Because here's the other thing I know. I'm not right about everything. In fact, I was wrong twice last week. I'm I'm kidding. It was way more than that. But I'm not right about everything. So here's the cool thing about our God. One of the amazing things about our God is he says that you have a responsibility, whatever you hear in any church, not just this one, to own your own faith and take your Bible and you study it. You don't have to just take what I say at face value. You go to the scriptures, you study it, you seek God and let him show you. I'm not your God, he is. And so I admit there may be things that I'm wrong about, but I'm going to do my best because I'm the only guy in the room that has to stand before God one day and give an account for what I said and how I led you. And so I take it very seriously. And I'm going to do the best I can to communicate what I believe Scripture teaches about a difficult but also very important subject. We live in a culture that says sex is only physical. It's just physical. And the idea of sex has been diminished in so many ways. But I think that you know deep down inside that sex is not just physical. I think you know that. And so I want to ask you a few questions to kind of get us all on the same page of our perspective of sex. And these questions, um, they're going to be challenging for some of you. For some of you, they're going to cause you to think about things you try to forget about. For some of you, they're going to bring up some painful memories. But I think it's important for us to pause and consider the reality that sex is not only physical. It's not just physical. First question, when a child is sexually abused, why can't they just shake that off? I mean, it's just physical and it's behind them and it's no big deal. Why did they wrestle and struggle sometimes for a lifetime? Why is it that rape is so much more devastating to a woman than being beat up? Why is it that a woman will report being beat up But if she's raped, she feels like so often she has to carry that secret deep down inside her and can't tell anyone. It's because sex is not just physical. 
Why is it, according to research, that men that have the deepest sexual issues usually have uninvolved or missing fathers? And why is it that most people's deepest regrets are sexual? When someone comes to me and says, hey, pastor, I want to talk to you. I need to share something with you. I've never told anyone. You know what I've never heard when somebody says that? I've never heard I was at Publix and backed out of my parking spot and hit the car behind me and I didn't leave a note. I've never heard that. Every time somebody says that, it usually sets the stage for something sexual that they were involved in or something sexual that happened to them in their lives. Why is it our biggest regrets? Why is it the thing that we consider if you're dating, when you start dating somebody new, one of the things you wrestle with is, do, do, I, do, I, do I tell them about my past or do I lie? Sex is not just physical. And so I, I, we know, I believe, that sex was God's idea. And you know what? It was a good one. High five God, gold star, whole thing. Great idea. Can you imagine the moment when God's kind of thinking, okay, I'm going to create humanity, and he looks at the angels and says, I have an idea. And they're like, what? He's like, you'll never understand. (laughs) But, I mean, great idea. But I want us to imagine, whatever you believe, I want you just to imagine for a moment that page one is right. Even if you don't believe it, just go with me for a second. You owe it to yourself because we are going somewhere. That page one is right, that that we're not here because there was a big bang in some massive vacuum of nothingness that created all the intricacies of not just humanity but the universe. Let's just imagine, just just for a moment, if you don't believe it, just hang with me for a moment, that that we were created by maybe the bang of a voice of God creating and speaking things into existence. If, If page one is right... God reveals to us his design. Every creation has a creator. Every piece of art has an artist. Every design has a designer. And God reveals his design because the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, opposites that work together. God created the morning and the evening. God created light and darkness. God created day and night. God created land and sea. God created plants and animals. God created creatures on the land and creatures in the sea. And God created man and woman. Opposites that work together. And so thousands of years ago, God inspired the writer of Hebrews to write these words. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What? I, I mean, seriously? This is 2019. What does marriage bed should be honored? What, what, what does that even mean? And kept pure, what does that look like? And, and who, who decides what's pure and what's not pure? God will judge. We, we, we don't like this part, so we try to avoid it. But the scripture says God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And who, who decides what's sexually immoral? How do we know in our culture in this modern age, how, how do we know to navigate this? 
Especially, and in reality, if you're a Christ follower. If you're a Christ follower, what we're going to talk about this morning is founded in Scripture. We're just talking about Dad's rules. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But how do we know? We said we're going to agree just for this morning that page one is accurate. We know by page two. Genesis chapter two, God lays all of it out. We don't have to dig through the book and and, and go way in to find... Page two, God says, here's what this is supposed to look like. Here's what sexuality looks like in your life, in culture. So the man gave names, Genesis chapter two, verse 21, to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Opposites that work together, heavens and the earth, morning and night, light and darkness, day and evening, plants and animals, animals on the land, animals in the sea, man and woman, opposites that work together. And it's interesting to me to note that Scripture says that God took from the man's side. God said, you're going to be similar in that ultimately you're going to come from the same flesh, but you're going to be different. You're going to be opposites. And and it's interesting, he took from the man's side. He did not take from the man's heel because women are not to be stepped on or walked over. He did not take from the man's head because women are created in the image of God just like men. He did not take from the front of the man because women will be in front. And he did not take from the behind of the man, literally or figuratively, because women are not to walk behind. It is a side-by-side relationship, equally valuable to God, equally loved by God. It's fascinating to me. See, this is, this is why you should read your Bible. This kind of stuff is in there. When you think about the design of God and all that he communicates in every little thing he does, taken from the side because she's by your side and he's by your side, it's, it's, it's nothing less. So the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And in Hebrew, the word for man is ish, and the word for woman is ish Probably pronounced isha, but I just give a little flair there. Ish and isha, opposites that work together. And throughout the pages of Scripture, that is the only type of, of relationship sexually that you find that God or Jesus endorse. So Jesus, Genesis chapter two, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh apart. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That can be, entang- that can be translated entangled. There's an entanglement that takes place. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And it's interesting to me, entanglement, the the entanglement of who you are socially, spiritually, emotionally, and sexually is what takes place in that moment. It is a connectedness that is much deeper, much greater, much broader than anything that just happens sexually because sex is not just sex. And when God creates Adam and Eve, the first thing he says to them, the first sentence, the first instructions, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy each other sexually. Have a blast. Now, sometimes I wonder about that moment. Was that because God walked in and walked up to Adam and Eve? And he's like, okay, I, I want to talk to you about faith and prayer. But Adam, hey, Adam, 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 because she's naked, remember? Adam, okay, I'll be back in 30 minutes. Y'all have sex. <laughs> I mean, 
I wonder how that went about, but it's the very first thing. So God has this huge idea about a way that two people, a man and a woman, opposites coming together can create something incredible. And Jesus even endorses it. When Jesus was asked about divorce, is it okay to get a divorce? Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 7, for this reason, a man, he quotes page 2. Go back to page 2. I'm buying into page 2. It's about page 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Hey, Jesus, how how are we supposed to do this marriage thing, and how how does sex factor in? Page 2. And all through the pages of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, there's even much more in the New Testament. God says that sex, sex the way God designed it, sex the way God created it, is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And in on page two, they were naked and felt no shame. Everything was great. So what happened? Page three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, I mean, really, I mean, let's be honest. Did God really say, is this really what God meant? Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of that tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In 2019, we are living in chapter 3. Did God, I mean, honestly, really? And there are people who pervert and change and twist and make up and rationalize and move. You, you got to do a lot of hard work and mental and emotional gymnastics to get the Bible to say something different than what it says. Dad says, hey, th- these are my rules. It's pretty clear. But, but, but we battle that with that whole, d- did God really say? And so the enemy, which took the shape of a serpent, that's all he said. He asked a question. Shouldn't you... Shouldn't you be able to think on your own? Isn't it okay if you see something that's good and you, you, it's pleasurable to you and, and it's desirable to you? I mean, it's how you're wired. You, you, you want that. Shouldn't you be able to just dive in? I mean, God said, if you touch it, you'll die. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not dead. I mean, shouldn't you be able? Why can't you? What is God trying to keep from you? And after all, this was written so long ago. I mean, aren't we kind of beyond all of this? Doesn't this just feel somewhat primitive sometimes? What kind of a God would say that there are some desires that you have that you see as, as good and pleasurable that he would say no to? What, what, what kind of God does that? It's the struggle of page three. 
Because the reality is our definition of sexuality is a clear choice to follow the Lord or the liar. The Lord of chapter 2 where God says, this is my design. This is what's going to look like. Opposites that come together. Opposites that are together in a covenant marriage. The structure of the family. Because God knew and knows if we have strong families, we have strong churches. And if we have strong churches, we have strong neighborhoods. And if we have strong neighborhoods, we have strong cities. And if we have strong cities, we have strong states. And if we have strong states, we have a strong nation. So because we have an enemy, the enemy looks at what God says in page 2. And recognizes, I, I have to attack that. Because if you have a military background or if you're in the military, one of the things you know is when you go to war, you want to attack the enemy's strongest points. And one of the first is often their communication towers or strategy. So the enemy looks and sees how God designed a man and a woman to come together, opposites that work together, and to create something beautiful And the enemy says, I I, I have to get people to think that's not okay, to think that's outdated, to think on their own. Surely that's not what God meant. Surely that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so the enemy is very effectively using culture to attack page two. And if you believe page two, you're just nuts. You're, you're a fanatic. You don't know what you're talking about. So what changed? They were naked and not ashamed, and then they're so ashamed that they sow fig leaves to cover themselves. What changed? The attack of page three, which started with a simple question, is that really what God would say? I mean, do you really think a loving God, come on, come on, come on. Do you really think a loving God would say to anybody, no, I know you desire that. I know you think it's good. I know it's pleasurable to you or to somebody else, but, but no. Do you, do you really think God would do that? But, but isn't there a place in the New Testament for those that are followers of Christ where the Bible says, deny yourselves and take up your cross and follow me? So biblical sexuality throughout all the pages of Scripture is in the context of a man and a woman in a covenant relationship called marriage. And biblical sexuality has at least four purposes, maybe more. First of all, reproduction. That's obvious. Second, pleasure. (laughs) If you're married and you're having sex and it's not pleasurable, you're doing it wrong. Pleasure. I I mean, imagine the moment. It it just, God, God, it's, it's okay to enjoy sex in marriage. It is something beautiful that God created. Just like when it gets cold outside, I enjoy a fire in my fireplace at home and in the proper place, use the proper way. It is a beautiful thing. You take that same fire out and put it on the couch, you're going to burn the house down. So God says, hey, enjoy. Bonding together is a one flesh relationship. Opposites that work together. It's It's the designer's design, heaven and earth, water and land, animals and plants, man and woman. And then it mirrors God's love for the church. See, the Bible says that those of us that are Christ followers are the bride of Christ. The same, we're made in the image of God, but very different. We're in the image of God, we're not God. Opposites, they come together. And so, any kind of activity, sexual activity, according to dad's rules, you don't have to believe this, you don't have to agree with it, you don't have to do it. And you know what? If you say, I disagree, you can come back next week, man, I I love you. You're welcome here. 
You can even be mad at me and I won't get mad at you. How about that? But anything other than that, according to dad's rules, is called sin. So if you're living with someone you're not married to, that's not in a covenant relationship. That's not how God says sex is designed or created for its best in your life. And sometimes we kind of minimize sin, but the Bible says that sin, and by the way, we're all sinners. There's nobody in here worse than me. Nobody worse than you, nobody better than me, nobody better than you. We all mess up in certain areas. But this is such an important issue to God. It starts on page two and goes through the whole book. And it's my sin and your sin that caused Jesus to have to die on a cross. If I, if I went home from the office every day and spit in Angie's face and slapped her and mocked her, but every day I made sure to tell her I love her. Would she feel love for me? Would that be authentic love? So how do you, and I'm talking to Christ followers right now, if you're a Christ follower, how do you as a Christ follower mock the death of Jesus by continually doing something that dad says is sin and spitting in his face and mocking him and slapping him and just saying, well, this is just an area I don't care what dad says. Do, do you think he feels authentically loved by you? And do you think you're setting yourself up to live the life God really created you to live? When, when, when did we become smarter than God? See, a great lover is not someone who's had 30 partners. A great lover is someone who's satisfied and enjoyed the same person for 30 years. The big difference. Thank you, 30% of you. Thank you, that's awesome. And, and, and so let, let, let me help you for a second. Now, I, I wanna be very, very practical because I wanna talk about um, married couples and, and how to have an exciting sex life if you're married. And so there's some things that I wanna give you. And men, guys, I, I'm gonna start with you. I wanna give you three keys to a great sex life, husbands. And listen, you might wanna take notes. If you do what I'm about to say, you're gonna give more in the offering in about two months because this is gonna pay off. This is based on a lot of research. Three keys to a great sex life for husbands. Number one, strive towards sexual purity. It's fascinating to me how much we minimize what we look at. And sometimes you were young and you didn't know what you were gonna be shown and you saw pornography for the first time and it awakened a beast inside you. And you've been craving that and you've been chasing that and you tell yourself it's okay. You're not hurting anybody. If you're married and you view pornography, you, you are damaging the intimacy in your relationship and you don't even know it. You're changing how you think. You're changing how you view women. And, and every young lady that you're looking at is somebody's daughter. And you're robbing your marriage because you've decided, did, did God really say, I mean, does God really, really, is that a bit, really? Your struggle is page three. And you're hurting yourself. Because one of the amazing things about our God, he's always been consistent. Now, it, it, it doesn't make sense, God. Wait a minute. I have these desires. You created me with these desires. And you're saying, I can't. I remember when um, Ethan, our youngest, was about three years old. I think it was Valentine's Day, and I took him to the drugstore to buy a box of chocolates for his mom. 
And so we went in the drugstore, and he, <laughs> he buys the biggest box of chocolates he could find. In fact, it even said, Happy Valentine's Day in Spanish, and nobody in our house speaks Spanish. But it was the biggest box of chocolates. So that's the one he wanted to have. So we brought it home, and I helped him carry it, and he took it into his mom. And he didn't say, Mom, Happy Valentine's Day. He said, Mom, it's nice to share. And he handed that box of chocolates. It was later that day, maybe the next day, I can't remember exactly, we found him in the family room behind the couch with that huge box of chocolates. He, he's just wearing his drawers, and one hand after another, there's chocolate all over his face, all over the couch. And I said, son, you can't eat all that chocolate. You know what he said? Why? You just can't. I, I'm dad. You just can't. It, it, listen, your three-year-old mind will not be able to comprehend what my 30-something-year-old mind is trying to communicate with you. We're on a different level, and I'm not just looking at the three-year-old you. I'm looking at the 30-year-old you, and you're not going to be able to get this. But what you know about me is, while I may have at times disappointed you, you know you've always been able to trust me. In your three years of experience in life, you know that Dad will always steer you right, and Dad always has your best interest at heart. What's fascinating to me is that verse we read in Hebrews chapter 13. The first 12 verses of Hebrews, the first 12 chapters of Hebrews are all about the love of Jesus for us. We love because he first loved us. So he builds this case for 12 chapters. Hey, there's some things that, that you're not going to know why. There's some things you're not going to know the answer to. You never find out reading the Bible why God said not that tree. Never. God is not going to be able to explain everything to you and to me. That's where faith comes in. But if you look in the rearview mirror of life, you'll find that, yes, there may have been times you were disappointed, but God has never really let you down. He's been very faithful to you. So in the moments where you're not sure, you can trust him. Men, strive towards sexual purity. It will benefit your marriage. See, what... Some of you, you need to get rid of the kind of cell phone you have, and you need, to, you need to put some filters on your computer. You need to have an email sent to your wife of every website you see. Not to be legalistic, because Jesus came to crush that crap too. Not to be legalistic, but to help you. You need to starve the beast inside you. What you feed grows, and what you starve dies. And you need to put some things. The Bible says, flee youthful lust. That doesn't mean like, oh, okay, let me see how close I can get so I can still see it, smell it, be around it. No, no, no. Get away because it is destroying you. It's destroying how you see people. It's destroying your relationship. But you get to decide. But this will help you. If you want to increase the intimacy, husbands, if you want to have a better sex life. Now, this is not a, a switch that you flip. This takes time. And it is a battle. And, and if you'd say, man, I just feel like it's gotten to the level of an addiction in my life, talk to us, email us. We can put you in touch with counselors, but do what you have to do to fight for you and your future because nobody else is going to. So husbands, strive towards sexual purity. The second thing, respect your wife's need for emotional sex. What the fat is that? What do I have to do now? No, 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 listen. Listen, emotional sex, anything that helps a woman feel special, cherished, and emotionally close. Anything that helps a woman feel special or cherished or emotionally close. There's a guy that did some research, and he came up with 10 points, not 10 seconds. 10 points, not 10 seconds. Because for men, we're extremely visual. Women are visual too, but men are like visual on crack. So it takes about 10 seconds to get aroused. She, she steps out of the shower, hmm. She's had an exhausting day and she's just changing into the, her pajamas and it's the same pair she's worn for a month. And you're like, huh, huh. 
you're at a picnic and the kids are on the playground and she flicks a bug off the table and you're just thinking, all right, table's clear now. <laughs> Put up a curtain. I, I mean, it takes about 10 seconds and you're game on. For a lady, it takes 10 points. That means 10 specific moments throughout the day where you show her that she is loved and cherished and adored and special. See, it doesn't happen in 10 seconds. The lady, ladies, you can clap. If the only time you're like, huh, is sexually, she doesn't feel cherished, she feels used. And so if you love your wife, you need to think about how she's created and how she's wired, and you need to understand that, that, they're going to be, that there's going to need to be a process throughout each day. You don't love her in the moment for 30 minutes or three minutes. You, you, you love her at your best. You, you love her. Ten moments throughout the day. It's that phone call, babe, I was just thinking about you. I love you. How's your day going? And shut up and listen. It's sending flowers. And, and maybe, you know what? Some ladies don't like flowers. Like, why are you giving me flowers? They die and they cost money. I don't want flowers. What I want is this. Listen, one of the greatest things you can do as a husband, earn a PhD in your bride. Learning what she likes, what she loves, what she enjoys, because that shows her she's cherished, because you're learning about her, you're interested, you're showing that interest, and you're the only guy on the planet that's supposed to do that. Somebody does it better than you? Three keys to a great sex life for husbands. Strive towards sexual purity, respect your wife's need for emotional sex, increase quality time, emotional closeness, and non-sexual touch. When you get home, when you walk through the door, when you say hi, when you sit down in the family room or at the table, be there. Some of you are home, but you're never home. When you walk through that door, it should be something where everything from the day you take off and it stays outside. And when you're in your home, you're in your home. And she knows when you're not. Because see, when you're not, yeah, there, there may be a lot of pressure at work. There may be a lot of things going on. You may be in the middle of decisions. You may be going through some difficult things. But when you're not there, she knows it. And when you're not there, she knows you're choosing something else to focus on over her. Now, you don't have to like it, but it's reality. You can do it or not do it. You decide, but it will help you. Increase your quality time. Put your dang phone down. Shut the computer off. Watch whatever she wants to... HTV only exists because men will say, okay, I'll watch it, but later, maybe, if we watch, if we watch two episodes, how about that? No, no, no. Listen, engage in what she enjoys. Increase quality time. Emotional closeness. It's those 10 points throughout the day. Non-sexual touch. If you want her to feel used and abused, only touch her when you want something. If you want her to feel cherished, rubber arm rub her neck, hold her hand. She wants you to be crazy about her. And remember what I said about starving the beast and what you feed grows? You might be thinking, man, you don't understand. I got in this whole marriage game. Isn't it interesting how before we're married, the enemy tries everything he can do to get us to have sex. Have you noticed that? Like, it's hard to keep your hands off each other. Once you've been married a couple months or a couple years, it's like, this isn't anything like the brochure. I mean, life just kind of changes. I mean, guys especially, before you got married, you thought, man, the apartment manager is going to have to call us every night and some mornings. There's too much noise. 
and you're like, I mean, you're, you're being you. You think it's going to be like that. And then you get married. Isn't it fascinating? Before you're married, there's this temptation and pressure. Have sex, have sex, have sex. And afterwards, it begins to slide on the priority list. Because you have an enemy. And he's doing everything he can to get you to mess up one way or the other. Now, ladies, if I could um, give you three keys to a great sex life for wives. I've never been a wife. This just comes from a lot of research, and, and it seems there seem to be some common threads in everything I studied and everything I read. Um, if you want your sex life to improve as a wife, the first thing, embrace your sexuality. There's something about sex, especially if you grew up in church, we're sort of taught it's bad. I think we need to remember it was God's idea. I think you, we need to remember the origin of sex. Page two, only two pages into the book, God says, Here's your wedding gift. It's pretty incredible. But you need to embrace your sexuality. You you were created to be sexual. You were created to be sensual in the context of marriage, absolutely. But but there's nothing to feel ashamed of or be embarrassed about with that. Now, I know that some of you would say, man, you you just don't understand. There's some deep issues and some serious problems. The last thing I feel like doing is being sexual with him. And if you're at that place... Contact us. We can put you in touch with some solid Christian counselors. I believe in the kind of counseling where it's, it's a biblical foundation, a biblical world, worldview. They're a Christian, but also they have training and education in psychology and understanding mind and emotions. And I think you get the best when those two come together. Don't settle for a less than life because we only get to do this deal once. And you're also setting up and showing your kids what it's all going to look like. And not only can your spouse tell, but your kids can tell when there's emotional distance, when you're unhappy. So embrace your sexuality, and if there are reasons that you can't, get some help. Second, realize sex is one of the most powerful ways to bless your marriage. I think it's important, if I could say this. And by the way, can you imagine being me for a minute? I mean, some of you are in here, you're up in the room with your parents, and this is really awkward. It's just awkward. But, but we live in a culture where it has become status quo to bash the opposite sex. And men talk about, well, that's just women. They're just like that. And women talk about, that's just man. He's just a man. When you do that, you're bashing God's creation. Why don't we stop tearing each other down and stereotyping everything and say, you know what? We're all loved by God. We all have flaws and build something positive rather than spending so much time in the gutter of negativity. I understand it's pain that brought us here. I understand you've walked through some things and I've walked through some things. I get that. But you can never embrace your future if you're holding on to your past. So... One of the things that that ladies would be very helpful for you to understand, just like there are a million things to be helpful for guys to understand, is that his need for sexual intimacy is just as valid as your need for emotional intimacy. It's how he's created. And the last way, ladies, maybe one thing to work on, have sex for the right reasons. You know what I read? In multiple places, I read that for so often in marriage, a lot of ladies have sex just to get it over with. I mean, he, he's been begging for days. He even wore that shirt that he thinks you like. and Like, hey, babe, 
I mean, he, he, he's saying all that stuff. He's brought you flowers. And there's a little bit of an edge to him because it's kind of boiling up inside. And he's getting frustrated that you're not taking the cues. And so you're just like, fine, I'll do it. Let's get it over with. And you don't say that on the outside, but inside that's what you're thinking. And you might even fake it a little bit to make him think it was amazing. But no, it's just you're just getting through it. When you do that, you're robbing yourself. You're not only robbing him, you're robbing yourself. You're robbing your marriage of an opportunity in a moment to be intimately connected. So the right reason is that's your husband and you love him and love, 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 love. Love has never, ever, ever been a feeling. Don't jump on that roller coaster. There are moments it's a feeling, but that's not its foundation. Love is a deliberate choice. Do you think God sees me as lovable all the time? But he loves me every moment, even at my worst. And this is an opportunity in the context of a marriage to create a safe spot for your husband or your wife, guys, with, with, with all their flaws, with all their struggles, with all they've been through, to be loved on a unique level. Now, I, I didn't know if I would get to it, but I've got some bonus stuff because I didn't know what time it would be. It'll take me like a minute. I want to roll through this because it's really quick. Let me give you some bonus stuff. Married couples, married couples, um, make it fun. When it comes to sex, make it fun. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. So I, I, I don't care where. The Bible doesn't anything, say anything negative about why, why do we think when it comes to sex and marriage, there's one position. It's a missionary position. No, you're not a missionary. You're on a mission, but you're not a missionary. There are tons of options. Explore that junk. Whatever room, bedroom, kitchen, it doesn't matter. Shower, go crazy. You're married. I told you, see three kids. He warned you at the beginning. See three kids. But listen, make it fun. Dress however you want to dress. Dress up, dress down. Whatever you want to do, make it fun. Find out what your spouse is into. That's the second thing. Learn something. Learn something. Listen to their words. Find out what interests them. Communicate with each other. I like this, or I like that, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. Expectations unsaid will always go unmet. That's not just true in marriage. That's true in every relationship that's important to you. Expectations that go unsaid will always go unmet. None of us have the ability to read each other's mind. If you don't like something, tell him. If you don't like something, tell her. If you do like something, tell him. If you do like something, tell her. Third, make time for sex. Make time for it. Life gets busy. You start having kids and then work schedules. And, and there's always, oh, when we get out of this busy season and you're going to wake up and you're going to be old. And now everything's wrinkled. Like you don't get these years back. So make it a priority in your marriage. Because if you want to have a fulfilling marriage, the, the primary thing you have to focus on is being a best friend. Focus on being a best friend. But that won't happen if there's not sexual intimacy. This is the one thing the two of you get to share with each other that nobody else gets in on. Opposites coming together. And then make intimacy intimate. Make it connected. Make it loving. There are going to be moments because of time and schedules that it's fast and furious. But there are going to be more times that it's true. You know, don't look at me like that. Some of you have been in counseling. I know why. I'll point you out. But listen... I'm joking, <laughs> but make intimacy intimate. Make it as special as it's supposed to be. Make it loving. Make it connected. Make it safe for the other person with all their flaws, all their weaknesses, to know they are absolutely cherished and you're crazy about them. If you're single, 
You get to decide. You get to decide. The Lord of page two or the liar of page three? Who's going to set the tone for you? If you're married, you get to decide. What do you want this to look like? And how do you want it to be in your marriage? The, the Lord of page two or the liar of page three? The Lord of page two and also Ephesians where it says the other person comes first because that's what love is and I'm going to do everything I can to meet the other person's needs and that's going to be my focus. Can you imagine? Don't imagine. Don't imagine this. Just think about it. Bad choice of words. A bedroom where a husband and a wife, stop imagining, where a husband and a wife, their entire focus and goal is to please the other one. Hey, that's a good night. Morning, afternoon. So it doesn't take a lot. It just takes intentionality and effort. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for our time. And thank you for this incredible design. Thank you for being a creator who cares about how we feel and cares about what our lives look like. Thank you for marriage. Thank you for the gift of sex. And I pray that as we walk away and process everything we've talked about this morning, that each of us would determine, do do I want to live by dad's rules or not? Because dad's always, always had my best interest at heart. So father, help us to understand that there's something you must understand beyond what we understand. And all of this is for a purpose. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower and you know that the biggest need in your life is to commit your life to Christ. Hey, you only get one shot at this. You you want this life to mean the most. You want to make the most of it. You want to live the life you were created to live and, and apart from a relationship with Jesus, that just doesn't happen. So if you'd like to commit your life to Christ today, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But you just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I need you. Please come into my life. Please forgive my sin. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 